0: Good evening, guys. Welcome to our very intimate Thanksgiving Eve service. And uh, uh, welcome to whoever's watching on the live stream as well, too. So this is the beginning this Wednesday, and for the next three Wednesdays after this, we'll have midweek services. And uh, Advent services will start next Wednesday. And what we're going to do, I think, is we're just going to read and talk about the uh, Old Testament reading from from, from the lessons each Sunday. So that's what we'll do coming up here. And then... The fourth week, we won't have Advent services, because that'll be uh, Christmas week, and we'll have three services after that. But Okay, let's begin tonight. Why don't we begin by uh, standing? Let me open us up in prayer, and then we'll begin with the first hymn. Let's pray. God, we genuinely thank you for all the good things that you've done for us, and uh, for us as individuals and families, and for our church, and uh, we trust in you that you're the good God who wants to do good for us in uh, sufferings and in uh, happy times and in everything in between. uh, Father, we're grateful to you for being a good, loving God who gives yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Stay standing for the first hymn. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Sanctify us in your truth. Your Word is truth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, The name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's read Psalm 67 together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The Old Testament reading is from uh, Deuteronomy 8, and uh, you can see when we get in here, it's about God providing for his people in the wilderness. Uh, Moses is talking to uh, the people of Israel, and he says, "Uh, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, The Lord your God disciplines you, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's, uh, we're going to read responsively. Uh, it says the first article there. This is from uh, Luther's small catechism. This is the section on the first article of the Apostles' Creed and the meaning. And it's all about the way God provides for us. So we'll read this responsively. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that He has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this He does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey Him. This is most certainly true." Stand with me and we'll confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven Reading us from Philippians 4, and you should know going into this uh, the background if, you're, if you don't remember that Paul is in prison when he's writing this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 11. Glory to you, O Lord. This is right in the middle of the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So it's a very famous story, Jesus uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, right at the heart of this story, as, uh, you, so you should go back and read it sometime. It's uh, very descriptive of Jesus' emotional state. He's described as being kind of angry throughout this story. Not angry at anybody, but angry at sin and death. And he's deeply troubled. You know, it's the famous uh, Jesus wept. Uh, John eleven thirty five 35 is in this text. But Jesus gets to the moment uh, where he's going to raise uh, Lazarus from the dead, and he's known that he's going to do it all along. Do you remember that? Uh, he got word that Lazarus was sick, and he waited several days before going to meet Lazarus to raise him from the dead and and intentionally to to let him die so that he could do what he's about to do now. And when, when he gets to the moment of crisis, when he gets to the moment where he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he offers up this prayer of thanksgiving in verses 41 and 42. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. It's interesting that in this moment, Jesus doesn't offer up a prayer of petition. He doesn't say, uh, God, show off your power by raising Lazarus from the dead. He offers up a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, Jesus' faith in what God is able to do and what God is going to do through him, not just in John 11, but in the chapters that are coming of us, is so strong that his prayer of thanksgiving easily substitutes for a request. It's, it's, it's six and one half dozen for Jesus, whether he says, God, Raise Lazarus from the dead through my power now. Or God, thank you for raising Lazarus from the dead. Either one. And Thanksgiving has that sort of power to connect us to what Jesus is doing. And so I just want to take this, to be real fast, I want to take a few minutes tonight to talk about this little prayer of Thanksgiving right here and point out two things to you uh, that I think we can uh, get from this, the, the, the fact that Jesus offers up this particular prayer here in this moment. So first of all, prayer of Thanksgiving. First of all, thankfulness connects us by faith to the salvation that Jesus accomplishes, thankfulness, our, your, your thankfulness and my thankfulness, connects us by faith to the salvation that Jesus accomplishes. Now, uh, where, do, where do we get this from? Uh, this text. I'll give you two two ways that we get this out of here. One is I'm going to admit it; it's a bit obscure, and you have to kind of be into the weeds of the Old Testament, which hardly any of us are anymore. To kind of get this one, the second one is more readily available, but the first one has to do with this line that Jesus says here: "Father, I thank you that you I thank you that you have heard me." That line, I mean, of course, Jesus is thanking his Father that He's heard Him, but He's also echoing a super famous Psalm, a Psalm that gets quoted a lot in the New Testament. And I'm going to read a part of it to you, a part that has the section that Jesus was talking about there, and. You'll recognize a lot of what what Psalm says, if, if, you know, if, you're, familiar with, if you're familiar with the uh, New Testament. You'll recognize a little bit of what this Psalm says. But Jesus quotes this Psalm, this one line, his hearers would have recognized this in ways that you and I, who don't spend a whole lot of time in the Old Testament, uh, wouldn't. But I'm going to read this to you, and I'm going to talk about why does Jesus quote this particular line. Now, Psalm 118 is this, magnificent prayer of thanksgiving. It's actually a thanksgiving prayer. It's one of those that starts off, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his, his steadfast love and His It's a thanksgiving prayer. And in the middle of this thanksgiving prayer, the psalmist starts to focus on this, that I have been rejected. I, the psalmist, whoever's writing this psalm, it's, it doesn't have a title on it. Whoever's writing this psalm has been rejected, but God is going to vindicate this psalmist and do great things and establishes people through the, through the suffering that the psalmist undergoes, all right? So I'm just going to read you, I'm going to jump down if you're, if you're looking at it with me. You don't have to. I'll read it to you. At verse 17, the psalmist says, you know, in the middle of this uh, suffering, I shall not die, but I shall live, and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. So in this psalm, he's like grappling with his nearness to death. You know, the, like I've come so close to death. It's been really close, but God has prevented me from dying. And so I give, thanks to, I give thanks to the Lord in this. And then he says this line verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. That's the line that Jesus echoes there. I thank you that you have heard me and have become my salvation. Very next line, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You guys know, hopefully you know, if you don't, you can look this up later. Uh, Google's a wonderful thing. Jesus quotes that line about him and referring to himself, the stone that the builders rejected. The stone that the builders said, we don't need that for this building. Actually, by the time the building gets built, they find themselves making that the linchpin stone of the whole building. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm going to get rejected, but I'm gonna end up being the keystone that holds this whole thing together. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We read that line right at the beginning of the service. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is gonna, th- th- this is going to get quoted in just the next chapter in John when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. We bless you from the house of the Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. Okay, so why is Jesus quoting this line here in the context of Death, his friend's death, his own impending death, more on that in a minute. What, what Jesus is saying is this, is that by giving thanks to God, he's announcing, he does it a bunch of different times, but in John 11, by, by quoting this line from Psalm 118, he's announcing to everybody who knows Psalm 118 that the cornerstone is finally here, that the one who's going to, be suffer, who's going to suffer and be rejected, the one who's going to be so, in Psalm 118, so near to death but make it out alive is now here. I mean, the twist in the story, right, is that Jesus doesn't just get near to death. Jesus actually gets killed. And when Jesus says this line here in Psalm 118, it's pointing forwards to this. You should hear this. You should hear him saying, I am the one, I'm giving thanks to God for rescuing the world through me, for being the cornerstone through me. This is, but by by giving thanks to God in the way that Jesus did here, we confess that Jesus is the one who rescues the world. Okay, Second way that this comes out, and this is less obscure than that one. You kind of have to know Psalm 118 to know the one before. This one's less obscure. It's actually just right in the story. In um, uh, John 11, Jesus is, uh, you know, Jesus decides, uh, I'm going to go to Galilee. He finds out that his friend Lazarus is sick and he's going to die. And Jesus is going to, he says, I'm going to go down to Judea. I'm in Galilee, but I'm going to go down to Judea. Uh, Bethany where they're at is just right outside the city city of Jerusalem just within a day's walk and Jesus says let's go down there and take care of Lazarus now his disciples are freaked out by this they they do not want to go down there because they know that in Judea all of the people who have a vested interest in offing Jesus are stationed the temple authorities, the Sadducees the scribes are congregating this is right around Passover, this is right at Passover the scribes are going to be there because it's Passover, the Roman garrison from Caesarea is going to come up and station itself in the fortress Antonia, right in the heart of the city, right next to the temple. And so the disciples are like, that's kind of like a hotbed. You do not want to go up and in there right now, Jesus. And they, and they say that to him. Jesus says in verse 7, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? That's what they say. And then Jesus says, I've got 12 hours in the day, and I've got stuff i got to do. We're going down there. Jesus is determined to go there, even though he and his disciples both know that it's very, very likely that he's going to get killed there. Well, the disciples believe it's very likely. Jesus knows I'm going there to die. In fact, you know, this story in John 11 is the last story before Passion Week. John chapter 12 is the uh, triumphal entry, and then you have, uh, you know, the Last Supper and Jesus' great prayer in John 15 through 17 in teaching, and then the trial and his, and his crucifixion and resurrection. This is the last thing. This is, this is why he ends up going to Judea to die, is because... His friend is going to die, and he's going there to rescue them. Later on, Thomas says this. So, the, you know, the disciples try and talk Jesus out of it. Let's, you know, you're going to get killed there. And, and Jesus is like, no, I'm going. And, the, and Thomas finally says in verse 16, so Thomas, says, uh, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's also go that we may die with him. Look, he's going to go there, and he's going to get killed. let's just, we're just going to have to go with him and, and die too. They all know that they're headed for death. They all know that they're headed for death. Now, why, does, why does John keep putting that into the story? Well, the reason why is because Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on a mission to cure his friend's death. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the price is going to be that he has to go to Judea to do that, which is going to get him killed. And in John 11, the mission is this. I'm going to go there and die, but the trade-off is, is I'm going to raise my friend Lazarus from the dead. And you you and i as gospel readers on this side of the, the resurrection and the ascension we should know what's going on here is that this is a microcosm of what jesus does for all of us the trade off to rescue us from our deaths is that jesus willingly dies jesus goes to jerusalem and takes it for us that's the price that he pays in order to raise lazarus from the dead that's the price that he pays to raise us from the dead this is the whole point of john 11 located where it's at in the story is that Jesus is gonna to die to rescue us. Lazarus' destiny is Jesus' destiny. And we have to know that as G, you know, Jesus is traveling towards, Jesus is traveling from Galilee down to Judea knowing that he's going to die. And we've gotta know that as he's praying that God would raise his friend from the dead, this, this is because, you know, we know this because he prays when he gets there, I thank you that you've heard me, that he's also aware that he's gonna die and praying that God would not just raise Lazarus from the dead, but all of us from the dead as well. There's only one way to be thankful. So Jesus is thankful in that circumstance, right? Like Jesus knows, I'm here to die. In in the Gospel of Mark, which we just finished studying, he predicts three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. He knows he's going to die. How is it possible that he can be thankful in that moment? How is it possible that he can be thankful? Well, in any circumstance that you and I go through, there's really only one way to genuinely be thankful. Let me ask you, imagine this scenario. Let's find out that something real bad happens to you. Something bad happens to a family member of yours or, you know, you get a, a real bad medical diagnosis or something like that. What, 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 what sort of framework would you have in your mind that wouldn't produce thankfulness? What sort of framework? Well, I'll, I'll give you one. If you believed it was random, right? Like if you thought that car wreck that crippled me or whatever, you know, or me losing my job, it's just this sort of random evil that happens in the universe, and there's, no, there's nothing behind it, it's just the universe is a bad place. There's, it, within that framework, do you guys see what I'm saying? Within that framework, there's no reason to be thankful. There's nothing to be thankful for because evil is random, and if evil is random, it's meaningless, meaninglessness. And if evil is meaningless, there's meaninglessness, there's no point in giving thanks for it. Another way that something bad would happen to you and you wouldn't give thanks is if something bad happens to you and you think, God just doesn't care about me. Like, the, the, it... it's not random, God's in charge, but he's just blowing me up for some reason. God is just somehow cruel or something like that. You wouldn't be thankful for something that you thought that God was doing to you as an act of cruelty. You also might not even be thankful for something that you thought was, maybe not cruelty, but teaching you a lesson, or you know, all the kind of silly stuff we say when bad stuff happens and we're trying to be pious and religious. Well, maybe God is trying to teach me a lesson. You wouldn't be thankful for that sort of thing, too. I guess, I guess you could stretch yourself and be like, well, you know, okay, yeah, I'm thankful. I've got to run wind sprints at the end of practice because I'm getting kind of lazy and out of shape and the coach wants, I guess I can be thankful to the coach for that. In the moment, it's hard to do that, though. But here, here's, how, here's why you would be thankful. If you're convinced that whatever bad happening to you is happening in the cross of Jesus Christ, That every single bad thing, every single bit of suffering that you undergo is actually joined up with the suffering of Jesus and that he's using it for good even if you can't see the good at all. That level of faith is the level of faith that says, God, thank you for I'm going to die in six days. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for bringing me down here to die so I can rescue my friend Lazarus. That's an intense level of faith that knows that God is good and that everything that happens to Christians is, finds its uh, nexus in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of faith that Jesus has. So, so, so let me make this real explicit here, then we'll move on to the second point. We'll be done. Thankfulness, the thankfulness of Jesus here presupposes faith, right? Jesus' trust, now he's, this is going to be a struggle for him. Uh, like I said, in six or seven days, he's going to end up praying, like, God, let this, let this cut pass from me. So this is not like some sort of easy like, oh, whatever, you know, bad stuff happens to me and I can just kind of whistle and like keep my head up high and real cheerful. It's not about that at all. But it's about trusting, ultimately trusting that the bad things that happen to having faith that God is in charge. In other words, thankfulness presupposes faith. The only way to truly be thankful is to have faith. That's why for Christians, thankfulness is so important. That's why for Christians, Thanksgiving as a holiday is so important. It's not just because it's nice to be around happy people, It's because thanksgiving is a symptom of faith. Like thanking God for things is a symptom that you've been connected with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and from the empty tomb. Second thing, though, and this will be a little bit quicker, then we'll be done. Second thing is this. Our thankfulness doesn't just connect us by faith to the work of Jesus. Our thankfulness connects others by faith to the work of Jesus. When we're thankful, it connects other people. It draws other people to the work of Christ. That's ultimately why Jesus is praying this prayer. What does he say here? Let me turn back here and read it again. Um, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is thankful out loud to his Father so that other people can hear it and know that Jesus comes from God. Thankfulness connects other people to Jesus as well. How does this work? How is this supposed to connect? How is our thankfulness to God supposed to connect other people to Jesus? Okay, have you ever had, have you ever, like, done, think of a scenario where you've decided to do something new. Maybe it's something big, like you've decided to, whatever, go climb a mountain or whatever. Or maybe it's you, you just you heard about this cool restaurant in town, and you decided that you were going go to go try it out. W- why did you do that? Why did you do that? 95 times out of 100, I, I'm almost certain this is the truth, it, 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 at least it is in, in my case, Ninety-five out of one hundred times that I decide I'm going to go try a new restaurant, it's because I've heard somebody I trust say, "This place has got great burgers. You should go try this out." That motivates me. Like, honestly, if I see if I if I drive down the road and I see a billboard, I hardly ever pay attention. Like my kids know by now that like when commercials come on TV, this this is the younger. This is a postmodern thing. The younger you are, the more likely this is true about you. Whenever commercials come on. TV or like, you know, God forbid, a commercial pop up while you're watching YouTube. I like, there's something in my brain that just turns it off. I don't even hear commercials anymore. But if somebody I know and I trust says, you should go to this restaurant. I'll go try it out. I'm I'm likely to try it out. You see what happens? You see what's happening there? I've noticed this recently. Like my kids, and my kids are their own people, but by and large, a lot of the things that I like and I'm passionate about, they're passionate about like, it's, it's, it's totally not a coincidence, I don't think, that Harry, who's not here tonight, that Harry is a huge fan of baseball history, that he likes jazz, that he's interested in, the world, in world War II history, that he likes fantasy fiction. Like, it's, it's like, he's grown up in a house where I'm like, oh, Harry, you should check this out, this is cool. I was talking to somebody the other day, my daughter Kate, who is here uh, tonight, um, the, the music that Kate likes, that she, the, the music that Kate really likes like, if I go through the list of the music that Kate likes, it's all music that I've introduced her to her because I think it's awesome. Kate loves the Beatles. Kate likes James Taylor. Uh, uh, Kate likes, I'm going to block stuff. I'm trying to block it out. So, you know, when Kate likes music, it's like nonstop. You listen to it 100 times in a row. She's just recently kind of gotten into Mozart. This is all stuff that I'm like really passionate about. And she is too. Now, why does it happen? Is it because like I told them like you have to like James Taylor or you get out of my house? No, it's because I've like I've said to Kate before. I've said, check this out. Listen, to this, this is really cool. You see what's happened? Our thankfulness draws people in in ways that like information doesn't. And maybe I, this is kind of a side point, and I, I mainly want to talk to us about like being thankful. But maybe this is a better model for evangelism than like logical arguments, which, by the way, are important. You know, you guys know that I'm real big into apologetics and logical arguments. But maybe that doesn't do as good. It's a very, very modern thing. Maybe that doesn't do as good as just being passionately thankful. And if we're not seeing people drawn to Christ by our lives, perhaps it's because we know a lot about Christianity and we can talk in really clear terms about what Christianity is. But maybe we're not passionate about it. Maybe I'm more passionate about James Taylor's Mudslide Slim album than I am about the fact that my Savior died and rose from the dead for me. Maybe that's why people aren't coming to faith. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus knows that by being grateful to God for this unbelievable thing that's about to happen in the next few seconds here, you know, Lazarus rising from the dead, by being grateful to God, he connects the event with the one who caused the event in a way that draws and pulls people in. This is the power of thankfulness. Thankfulness by faith connects us to what Jesus did. Thankfulness by faith connects others to that same faith. So tomorrow morning when you're eating dinner and you do the obligatory, what are you thankful for this year? Or when you're talking to your friends, when you're at work and you're having a conversation with somebody about what's important to you, make the heart of how you describe your relationship with Jesus. Make it gratefulness and thankfulness. That's got the power to draw people in ways that nothing else can because that is linked directly to saving faith. All right, stand with me and we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you uh, this evening for all the good things that you've done for us this year, for all the gifts that you've given us. Uh, We thank you for good health and for bad health. We all have had a mixture of good and bad health this year. And for some of us, it's been really bad. And for some of us, it's been a lot better. But for all those things, Father, we know that they come from your hand and we thank you for them. We thank you for the ways that you supplied our needs. None of us in this room right now are hungry. And we should be grateful for that. None of us in here... uh, 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 are without clothing or without shelter and father, this is definitely a gift of you it 's not something that 's just for granted it 's not something that 's just a, a given it 's something that you 've blessed us with and for all these things father like we like like we acknowledged when we talked about the um, the, the first article the, our clothing and our shoes and our food and our drink and our house and our home and our spouses and our kids and our siblings and our cousins and our friends and everything that you've done for us, Father. We acknowledge that they are gifts from you, and so we praise you for them. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for our families. We pray and give you thanks for our families, but also for this most close of all families. Our family here in your Christian church, Father, the ones that you've united to us, uh, not by flesh and not by uh, of blood, but by the power of your Holy Spirit in the person of your Son Jesus Christ. And for many of us, this past year, Father, we found new depths of uh, uh, new depths of reality in our relationship with you. We found comfort. We found companionship in our joys in the community that you provided for us. And so, Father, I, I personally thank you for a church like St. James, where uh, uh, my brothers and sisters come and support me in your name, and allow me to support them in your name. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we thank you for uh, the country that you've put us in, and and a lot of this uh, overlaps with the the thanksgiving for the material things that you've given us, Father, for a country like ours and a state like ours, and um, for a county and a village like ours, and for our leaders, we give you thanks, Father, we know that they come from you and that nobody rules except under your authority. And so we give you thanks for all these things, for the circumstances that you've put us in in this country. Lord, in your mercy. Most of all, Father, we thank you for yourself. We thank you for giving us to yourself in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending him to take on our flesh and to become like us and to make that journey to Jerusalem, to die so that he could raise us from the dead. Father, you know for a fact that we literally are nothing without you. The image of God which you've created us to be only finds its fulfillment in the one true image, your son Jesus. And so we praise and thank you for everything that he is to us tonight, and we praise and thank you for the work of the Spirit who applies salvation to us, who gifts us, who sanctifies us, who draws us to you, who constantly points our eyes to Jesus, Who's in the process now of rescuing us individually, rescuing our families, rescuing our church, rescuing our town for your own name's sake, For all these things, Father, we give thanks and praise to you, Lord, in your mercy. We come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, who loved us so much he gave himself to die for us and rise, rise from the dead for, uh, for us. And now brings us into your throne room and sits us on your lap as your children so we can only pray this in the name of our brother Jesus, amen. And now pray together with me uh, the words of the Lord, Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. mighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve us. Amen.
1: Go in peace. Happy Thanksgiving.